Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Here on Searchlight, we are in for a treat. This is because today we begin to study through the book of Judges. This book has many fascinating stories that illustrate spiritual principles that apply directly to our lives. In our first study, Pastor John will share with us a teaching from chapter 1 entitled, Avoiding Being Toe-Tailed. Yes, that's another one of John's classic puns. Well, let's now go ahead and join Pastor John and see just what he means by this interesting title. The book of Judges is perhaps the most interesting and exciting book in the Old Testament. It is a story book. In the book of Judges, you have the well-known stories of Samson and his downfall with Delilah, of Gideon and his overcoming the men of Midian. You have all sorts of well-known personalities emerging with all kinds of interesting lessons for you and me, but there's also a bunch of obscure stories that are fascinating. Stories that deal with men like Ehud, who stuck a dagger in the belly of the only man in the Bible who's called a very fat man. His name was Aglon. And as we'll see, the blubber rolled over the blade and the haft, and he lost his dagger in the blubber of Eglon. It's an amazing story. We'll see a gal named Jael take a spike and drive it through the temple of a general named Sisera while he's taking a nap in her tent. We'll read about how a man had his concubine or girlfriend. She was, well, killed tragically. And so he, to get the attention of an apathetical nation, chopped her body up into 12 parts and sent one of the parts of her body to each of the 12 tribes. We'll also see a man named Micah who was told by his mom to start a brand new kind of religion. I mean, this book, Judges, is a storyteller's delight. You will find it interesting and intriguing and maybe in your reading somewhat disturbing and confusing. We'll come out on Wednesdays, plug in, and we'll show you how these stories speak to you and me in a most practical, pointed, powerful way. God knows that we are children, And as children, we need stories. Doctrines can become sometimes hard to grasp or 
even a bit boring. But when they're linked with stories, all of a sudden those doctrines and theologies become so real and so practical. And so for every New Testament principle, there is an Old Testament picture. There's a story to help you and me see principles and theology, doctrine, understandings in a way that we can grasp more easily. I came across this this past week and it interested me. This is one guy up in Washington. He's an author who was looking at the story of Noah and the ark. And you might recall that well-known, much-read, best-seller, which was entitled, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Remember that book from several years ago? Well, this guy up there in Washington has a book out, so to speak, entitled, Everything I Need to Know I Learned from Noah. And he took the ark and the story of Noah thereon. Number one, the first lesson from Noah and the ark is, don't miss the boat. (laughs) Number two, we are all in the same boat. Number three, the third thing he learned from Noah, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. (laughs) Number four, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, somebody may ask you to do something really big. (laughs) Number five, don't listen to the critics. Just do the job that needs to be done. Number six, build your future on high ground. Remember the ark up on Mount Ararat? (laughs) Number seven, for safety's sake, travel in pairs. (laughs) Number eight, speed isn't always an advantage. The snails were on board right there with the cheetahs. (laughs) I like number nine. When you're stressed, float a while. Number ten, remember the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. (laughs) And finally, he ends this little list by saying, number eleven, no matter the storm, when you are with God, there's always a rainbow awaiting. I like that. See, the thing is, we can take the stories from the Old Testament and gain insights, whether they're whimsical and cute like the ones I just read, or whether they're theological and doctrinal. Either way, it's interesting to go through the stories and say, Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to learn in this story? And the book of Judges is a storybook. I hope you do read through with us your assignment this Wednesday, chapters 1 and 2, and come out, and we're going to have, I think, a grand time going through this most exciting storybook, the book of Judges. Now, by the way, when I say story, I'm not referring to or alluding to or suggesting that it's fictional. You understand that. These stories are real. Well, let's take a look at one such story right now at the very get-go, chapter 1. Now, after the death, verse 1, of Joshua, the one who led them into the promised land, the guy that we've been talking about in the past months going through the book of Joshua as we have just completed. After the death of Joshua, it came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, Evidently, they went to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and sought the Lord as the priest would utilize the Urim and the Thummim. 
to determine the Lord's will. Well, they asked the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Now, the land had already been conquered by Joshua and the children of Israel. But as we have seen, there were still pockets of resistance throughout the promised land where the Canaanites had holed up. They had hid away. And it was up to the people now to root them out. The victory was already won, but there was still work to do. Just like the victory has been won by our Joshua, Jesus, on the cross for me and you, but there's still work to do. Our sins are forgiven. We're going to heaven. But there's still enemies lurking around in our souls that need to be rooted up and cast out, you see. So they said, well, now, who should go up first, Lord, to fight against these Canaanites that remain in the land? And the Lord said, Judah, the tribe of Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Well, verse 3, Judah said to Simeon, the tribe of Judah went to the tribe of Simeon because Judah and Simeon were brothers. Come up with me into my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go up with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. Judah says to Simeon, the tribe of Judah says to the tribe of Simeon, hey, help us and then we'll help you. Because Simeon was actually located within Judah. That is the tribe of Judah pretty much surrounded Simeon. And so Judah, the bigger, more powerful tribe surrounding the smaller tribe of Simeon said, hey, you guys, help us, and then we'll help you deal with the enemies in your region too. So they did just that. Judah went up, verse 4, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. So the tribes of Judah and Simeon, two of the 12 tribes, mobilize their guys and go to war. And 10,000 of the enemy are defeated, we see in verse 4. Then, verse 5, the plot thickens. They found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. Adonai Bezek, his name means the Lord of Lightning or the Lord of Fire. He was the king of these heathen people, these pagans in that region. He was the head honcho. He was the big kahuna. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But, verse 6, Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. This guy, Adonai Bezek, who was the head honcho, escaped. But they caught up with him. And when they did, they grabbed him and lopped off his thumbs and his big toes. Now you say, why in the world would the people of Israel, the tribe of Judah and Simeon, God's children, do such a dastardly deed as chop off this guy's thumbs and his big toes. There's a reason. First of all, militarily. 
thumbs. See, if your thumb is gone, you can no longer hold a sword. You can no longer fight. Adonai Bezek was a general, was a leader, was a guy that was a very real enemy to God's people. They chopped off his thumbs that he would be clumsy. He would be all thumbs, so to speak. He couldn't hold a sword, you see. He couldn't fight anymore. His thumbs would be gone, and his toes were cut off too. That is his big toes. Why? So that he couldn't run away, see. Without your big toes, you can't run. You can't run effectively. Your balance is gone. So this guy was now, as far as a soldier goes, he could no longer hold a sword. He could no longer run away and flee that day. He was dealt with. Those toes were cut off. What happened to the toes? No doubt, they called a tow truck. <laughs> they called a tow truck to come and haul away the toes that day. Truly, I, I meant to find an article. I couldn't pull it out. I cut it out years ago. But there was an article in the Medford Mail Tribune, oh, maybe like 10 years ago now. And it was dealing with a best-selling brew that was served in a bar in Anchorage, Alaska. And all the rough, tough Alaskans would go into this particular bar and, and they would buy this brew. It was called Big Toe Brew. And the reason was is because they would put these uh, toes of people from cadavers into these large glass kegs that were filled with beer. And see, if you were a real man, you would order big toe brew and they would hit the tap and the beer would come out but you'd see the toe floating around in this in this keg of beer you see and and the, it was the hot place to go if you're a tough alaska kind of guy give me some big toe brew and so this article was telling that story of how it was discovered by state officials and they closed the bar down because people were getting tomain poisoning No, but they did close the bar down, and Big Toe Brew, as far as I know, is no longer available in Alaska or anywhere, hopefully. But be that as it may, they, they, they cut off his toes, his big toes. They cut off his thumbs. Militarily, he couldn't run away, and he couldn't fight another day. Not without your thumb, not without your toe, you see. It is also possible that there's another reason why this guy, Adonai Bezek's thumbs and toes were cut off. Some commentators have suggested this. You might recall how in Leviticus chapter 8, the priest there in Israel, when he was ordained for service, was to have blood, blood placed upon his thumbs and his big toes, indicating, illustrating that what I do with my hand and where I walk with these feet, it's all got to be under the blood, you see. That's true for you. It's true for me. The stuff we do, the places we go can sometimes be less than the best 
to put it nicely. We need to say, Lord, I want to be used by you, but the things I've done and the places I've gone, Lord, I need the blood to be applied that I might be cleansed and forgiven. You see. And some commentators have suggested, and it's very possible, that this practice of placing blood on thumbs and toes was not unique to Israel, but was done throughout the land of Canaan by pagan people in other pagan regions as well. And there's evidence for that. So it could very well be that not just militarily he would be unable to fight or run away, but spiritually, in those days, the king of a city would often be its priest too. I'm talking about in pagan cities. These pagan cities, the guy that was the king would also be the priest. And so it could very well be that by cutting off the thumbs and the toes, it was a statement, you're not going to serve your false gods again, you see. But Adonai Bezek, militarily or spiritually or a combination of the two, when his thumbs were lopped off and his toes were taken away. Here's what I want you to see today before we go. Watch this. The next verse. Adonai Bezek, when this happened, when the sword was unsheathed and his thumbs were lopped off and his toes were taken away, he said, three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. In other words, three score and ten is seventy. Seventy kings, Adonai Bezek said, seventy kings, I did this too. I cut off their thumbs. I cut off their toes. Seventy other kings, I did this too. And he goes on to say, and they gathered their meat under my table. I cut off their thumbs, I cut off their toes, and I made them eat the crumbs that would fall on the floor from under my table. I humiliated them. I incapacitated them. And I made them scrounge these previous leaders, those previous kings. I made them scrounge under my table for crumbs like a dog would do. Adonai Bezek said, I did this to 70 men, and I made them scrounge for their food under my table, you see. Now, the next phrase, as I have done, so God hath requited me. I did this to others, and now it's coming back on me. Interesting. Adonai Bezek, this heathen pagan king, had insight. He said, I have done this to other people. I cut them off. I cut them down. I was cruel to them. I was mean and brutal with them. And now, as he puts his thumbs out, do it to me. Let it be. Because what I have done, it's coming back in my direction. And folks, Adonai Bezek is right. It's true. God tells you and God tells me as his children in this life that we go through, in the battles that rage around us, in the war that we're engaged in, God says, understand this, children. 
In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's a principle of God. It's a law of God. And Adonai Bezek understands it innately, intuitively. He realizes this is how I've been for many years. And now it's come back on me. God would have me and God would have you and God would have us to understand this day. That this is an absolutely irrefutable principle of life. What you do, for better or for worse, is going to come back on you. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow or the seeds you plant, they're going to come up as a crop that's going to be brought into your life, you see. So if I go around during the day barking and biting and growling, it's going to come back my way. When I get home, I'll be dog tired. And I'll wonder, how come this isn't working out? And what's wrong with her? And what's wrong with them? And all the rest. Well, listen, if I'm sowing seeds of barking and growling and biting, it's going to come back on me. Perhaps that very evening, maybe a week down the road or a year later, but sometime I can guarantee that what I do, for better or for worse, is going to come back on me. Now listen carefully. How come everybody's so mean to me? How come my wife doesn't understand? You're just getting what you deserve, my friend. What do you mean? Jesus said, that whatever measure you give out, it'll be given back. The way that you give out and the things that I do are going to come back on me. They're going to come back on you. If I am seeking to make other people happy, for example, I am going to be a happy man. If I'm saying, why doesn't she do this, and why don't they do that, and what's wrong with them, then that's the way I'm going to feel within. I have often said for many years, here is a 10-step plan for getting out of depression. If you're depressed, if you fight the blues, if you're in the dumps, if you're sad, here's what you ought to do. 10 steps. Number one, do something for somebody else. Number two, repeat that nine times. See, it's such a key. Whatever you sow, you reap. Well, how come they're not being nice to me? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 declares, For a man to have friends, he must show himself what? Friendly. This is such a simple principle, but so important, and it can explain a lot about how people treat us. It is often a reflection of how we treat other people. You may want to reflect and pray about this, but then do join us again next time as Pastor John concludes this teaching on sowing and reaping. We'll see you then. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. 
You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. That's J-O-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N.com. We are all on a journey in this life. If you are a believer in God, your journey is taking you to heaven. To help us keep our eyes on our destination, we have a book available called A Place for You, Reflections on Heaven. This book, taken from sermons that John has given, focuses on the hope of heaven. Heaven is a real place, and it is not that far away. This book is for everyone who longs for that day when we will be in heaven with our Savior. You may order a place for you from our website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is an independent ministry that is not financially supported by any church or organization. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.